Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm your host, Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Advocate at Microsoft. Simone de Rochefort, Senior Video Producer at Polygon, is with her family this week, but I am joined, as always, by the imitable Brianna Wu, who is the Executive Director at Rebellion Pack. How are you? What's up, Christina? I'm glad you're alive. I was touch and go there for a while this week, I understand. Uh, yeah. So I live in Seattle, Washington, which is experiencing a heat wave that I believe it was like one of the hottest days on record yesterday. So we're recording this on um, what is today, Tuesday. And on Monday, it was like 107 degrees which is insane. I'm currently, uh, I don't even want to think about what the temperature in my office is right now. I'm sure that it's in the nineties. Um, it's gross. So I'm surviving. How are, how are you doing? I know it's hot in Boston too, although you have AC. I I mean, one of the first things we did when we bought our house is, you know, we, we got the central air in here and I added extra air conditioners on top of that. We actually have five extra air conditioners in this house, so I'm fine. But even all of that is, I mean, it's, it's working to put a dent in this heat. It got up to a hundred here today. It is just bananas. Wow. Wow. Um, I should note this episode is brought to you by Squarespace, uh, Calm, yeah. and um, Material, the Material, uh, uh, another relay show. So good stuff there. Okay. So um, disclosure time. Our main topic this week is going to be about Windows 11. And my disclosure is two things. One, I work at Microsoft. Now, I do not work on Windows. And historically, I have known absolutely nothing about Windows. That's still mostly true. However, with this particular release, I was heavily involved with the Windows 11 developer um, launch, which coincided with the actual launch events uh, that took place on um, last week, last Thursday. So Brianna's going to be asking me some questions. We're going to be going over some things. If we hit points where things that I can't talk about, either because I don't know the answers or because I it's confidential, I will say so. But just wanted to put that out there. So before we start, though, I, yes. I have to say, as Christina, you know, I remember, I I remember Windows three one. I I used. I'm pretty sure I used Windows one at some point, and I I loved it. That was my first like you know real GUI operating system. And I remember standing outside for Windows ninety five. I remember my first job. You know, doing network stuff with Windows 98 Second Edition, and and I mean Windows is a big deal, and I am I am so proud to be on this show with you this week to actually know someone that worked on a launch of Windows. Like we're all we're all generally Apple fans on this show, but that's a big freaking deal, and I just I, I just want to like Aww. take a second and applaud you. I think that's amazing. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, I have to say it was it was for me even as like a an Apple person like you. I grew up on Windows. Um, ninety five is the one I I really remember and was was so important in so many ways. I made my mom take me when I was like fourteen to a Windows ninety eight satellite launch because I was that kind of kid. You know, I think all of us have memories of of XP because that was kind of like the apex of like that kind of era of Windows. And um I I wasn't expecting to be to be working on the event, but I was really like honored to be part of the of telling the developer story for all the stuff that's happening with with Windows 11 and just really, you know, proud of the the team who's clearly put um so many years into 
what they're building. And, and, uh, so there's, there's lots of really good stuff there, but, but yeah, but thank you because it, it was one of those things that they don't come around every so often. Like they're, it, the windows launch is not an, it's not a yearly event. So right, it was right. cool. It was cool to be weirdly on the other side of it because I've been at Microsoft for four years now, but I haven't worked on, you know, like a big consumer facing thing. And, right. and, and so that, that was kind of cool. So let's let's go through the launch, and I think the the very first thing I want to start with is obviously the UI. Uh, you know, this has a complete overview, the a, a complete overhaul of the UI elements. Uh, it's almost like a, a kind of glass element to it. And you know, your CEO said something I thought was really. Uh, important. It was all about putting you uh, in the center. It was all about centering you in the experience. And that was like why they moved the start menu and the icons over to the center and got rid of some of the distracting stuff like that Cortana tray. And I just wanted to talk to you, like, what what are your thoughts about the UI and this, this, uh, this redesign of Windows overall? I think it looks great. And it's one of those yeah. things where, uh, uh, you know, um, I was tinted and it was one of those things where I couldn't talk to anybody, even internally, about like what it looked like. And it was one of those things where I, I was like killing myself because I really wanted to tell people just how good it looked because it does. It just really, really looks good. Uh, I think that it's, it's refined in a lot of ways. Uh, Diego, who's one of the design directors, I actually interviewed him on stage during the developer event and he talked through some of the the changes that they've been doing and and there've been blogs out there about it too but it's um it's subtle but the changes i think are not insubstantial like i looked at it and i was like oh this is refined this looks good this is nice there are some really nice little uh kind of animations when when you hover over menus on the the start menu and even in other places you'll see a little animation which is just a really nice kind of little uh, pick there. Things are rounded now. Uh, as you mentioned, the start menu by default is now centered. You can still justify it to the left if you want. Uh, and I think that that's good for a couple of reasons. One, uh, as Satya said, it brings you into kind of the center of everything. But I think honestly, more uh, like pragmatically, m- many people have widescreen displays now. And so having your you know icons more in the middle of the screen does make more sense. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, obviously, you know, the, the Mac doc has been doing that for 20 years. It's a, it's a good design decision. So what is it? I mean, help me pick this apart from like a, a graphical, uh, a UI point of view. What is it that makes it look so modern and fresh? It's like they, they poured clear coat over everything. You know, it's got those rounded corners on the windows now. It's just, it's a lot simpler. I mean, what is it that makes this this feel so good? Is it the light colors? I mean, it's almost like a, it's almost like it's the same color of the the Evie. What's the female droid from Wally? Like Evie, that kind yeah. of white. E- yeah. Eva, Eva, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, well, yeah, and it's interesting because there is both a dark and a light mode. So the dark mode mm-hmm. obviously has like the darker accents. There's a new material that they're using called mica, which is designed um, for uh, like the actual window frame stuff to be able to use so that it can take in parts of the background of your screen or other things. And, and, but, but it, and it's transparent, but it's not, it's like you get just enough of the color in, but it's not distracting from what else is happening in the window Chrome. Mm-hmm. Um, they, there's, there are two new fonts 
the uh, Sego variable, which is now kind of like a, a variable font, which is good, which is used throughout the UI. And there's a new icon font um, that's going to be available for developers to use within their apps too. So I, I don't know. It's interesting. I think they just kind of, they took a lot of the ideas that were already there and they just added a little, a level of polish. Like you said, it does kind of feel like they just kind of poured, um, you know, like clear coat over some things, but at the same time, it doesn't feel shiny. Right. Yeah. Like, like, like Vista, it's big hallmark was aero glass, which almost no one had machines that were capable of running, but it was a really pretty effect. This doesn't have that type of transparency and that kind of glossiness, but there is that kind of like a glo- there is like a sheen to it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it looks really good. It looks fresh. I remember on episode talk show a long time ago with John Gruber, you know, he was saying like if he were Microsoft, he would uh, you know, like create a version of Windows, like put a ton of really talented graphic designers in a room, tell them to start fresh and you know, make something a lot simpler. This doesn't quite go that far. But it's kind of it kind of rhymes with it. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just it's it's so much simpler to look at, and it's it draws you in. And I just I I I can tell you it's going to be a day one upgrade for me. Um, I want to talk one of the things they did that's very uh, Mac OS uh, Mac OS like is they are going really hard with widgets. Live tiles are gone. Uh, you know, a lot of the widgets we all use, like weather, calendar, stuff like that. That's there. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that live tiles, it was kind of a holdover from Windows 8, which didn't really mm-hmm. work. I think it was a lot of good ideas. Uh, and in this, yeah, they've 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 changed the start menu substantially. So a lot of those things that were in the live tiles, not all of them, but many of them are now on a widget screen, which you can either choose to have or not. And that I think is still in development. They're still taking feedback. Uh, I should note that the that if for Windows insiders, people who opt into that program, the first version of this is available now. The actual release is going to be later in the fall, holiday season, and then into next year, you know, as as people can get kind of updates. Um, if, if It's a free upgrade, but, but if um, your system is compatible, they can opt into that. Or um, when you start buying new machines, you know, it'll be pre-installed uh, sometime in the fall. But um, they're acting, they're asking for feedback right now from people. So I think it'll be interesting to see how far that goes. I like some of the ideas behind live tiles, but it really, I think moving it into kind of a widget thing, which again is sort of a weird throwback because again, Vista had like a widget type of system, a confabulator, which Apple stole for, <laughs> for, for dashboard. I mean, that's what they did. They, they, they did, they, they did, you know, was, was, was kind of um, encompassed there. So I don't know. I think it makes sense to kind of have its own kind of area where you have sort of an overlay and you can pull those things up and that's nice. Um, I'm sure there are some people out there who loved and will miss live tiles. I'm, I'm a Mac user primarily, and I didn't particularly use live tiles much in windows 10, but, um, so I, I think it's a good decision, but that's, that's my take. Definitely. So I want to talk about this. I was, and, and if you can't say anything about this, I, I, I totally understand if we'll edit this out, but I was, I was really surprised, um, to see Microsoft Teams like baked into Windows 11 from mm-hmm. the start. And it's not because Windows Teams is bad. Actually, it's it from what I've seen and what I've used for it, we're actually thinking very hard about uh, moving over to it at Rebellion. I think it's it's getting it's 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 getting quite good. Uh, 
I, I, I guess what I was surprised about was, you know, Microsoft paid, I believe, $8 billion for Skype um, and to not see that more integrated. You know, Microsoft Teams is such a, a work-like product that it was, it, I, I feel like it tied into this motif I kept seeing in your live event where you were saying, like, it's for work, it will make you your most productive, you can do your best work here. I mean, let's be honest, a lot of people, or at least me, I use my computer for for play. Right. And I just, I when I was thinking about the fun stuff I do with my Windows PC, it's it's Skyping with people, you know, it's live streaming with people. I mean, uh, how do you kind of feel about that decision to have Microsoft Teams be the big thing that they're baking into the operating system? Well, so that's the interesting thing. And again, I don't know anything about this and I don't know what the decisions uh, are going to be going forward. I will say that, um, and, and this is frankly, this is like a, I wouldn't say it's a branding problem, but this is definitely a just uh, um something that's going to need to be distinguished uh, more clearly, I think, when they roll things out. But Teams is now available for personal use. And that that went into beta last year, it's now fully available. So if you have, and it's free for people to use, um, and you get certain extra features if you have like a um, a Microsoft 365 like family plan, which is like what includes Office and, and OneDrive storage and stuff like that. So if you've got one of those plans, you already have a bunch of access to some Teams features to use with your family, but it also does exist just as a kind of a free personal kind of chat tool with with video and other things. And that's the that's the part that's integrated. So the the enterprise or or, or business or small business part of Teams is not what's integrated into Windows 11. It's it's this other consumer facing teams thing. Now, how mm-hmm. you distinguish that between, you know, Skype and and that, I don't know. That's going to be up for people who are smarter and paid more than me to to talk about. But um I think that the team's brand is that's what it appears like that's kind of like where a lot of the focus is on like what whatever type of messaging and communications you're doing, whether you're using it at work or personal you know, there, there's, there's a Teams offering. So I think that a lot of the things that people have historically use Skype for, the idea is, is I think to try to get people to use Teams for that, um, the, yeah. the consumer version anyway. So I don't know. It is weird though, because like, you know, you have like this, this icon now and you have this kind of integrated chat thing now and it, and it is, it's cool, but it is sort of a throwback, you know, to the good old days when we used to actually have um, instant messaging clients on our computers, you know, MSN right. Messenger, uh, was a thing 20 plus years ago. You know, I, I chat was, was a thing for many years. So that's, it's, it's interesting that those ideas that are no longer really front and center, like there's this thing again, which is to me is kind of like a end user. I'm kind of like, huh? Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I guess, I mean, maybe they're just trying to market it more for work. I I just think there's a, no, no, a friendlier well, face you could put on that. To, well, right. It's not. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, you're not wrong. I, but I think, I think again, the, the distinguishing thing, and, and this is what they're going to have to kind of like, you know, people who are smarter than me are going to have to work on is like distinguishing between like teams, personal versus mm-hmm. teams for business, because they're two different but, products. Yeah. And maybe they're just trying to get buy-in for Microsoft Teams, which again, I think people should take a, a fresh look at. Like it was 
I think a lot of the criticism of it early on was very fair. It's it's gotten much better in my opinion. Um, so uh, this is this was a really interesting one. Um, I, I was I was really uh, amazed with how I thought this was a problem I had, and apparently it's a problem a lot of people have had because your CEO was actually talking about it uh, in a podcast with uh, in a video with Joanna Stern of Wall Street Journal. So uh, Windows 11 is going to memorize where every single one of your windows is, the location of everything, Mm -hmm. when you unplug your laptop from a docked monitor at home, and then you do whatever you want to do because it's a smaller window, but it will remember that. And then when you plop it back in, it will remember all of those windows and put it right back to normal. That is genius. I love that. What do you think? No, I love that too. And in fact, when I was kind of testing stuff out, that was one of my favorite things that was on their list of things to test. It was like, hey, try this, you know, with multiple monitors, try docking it, undocking it. In addition to that, there's this new thing called um, uh, Snap Assist. And so snap, snapping has been a feature of Windows, I think, since Windows 7. And, and the idea would be that you could very quickly snap a window um, into position on your monitor. And, and it's a very good feature. Um, Apple has copied it a little bit, but not too much. And, and tiled window managers are very popular on Linux. They're popular on Windows. People have also built them for Mac. The idea being that you can have your apps in like very specific locations on your your monitor or monitors. And the new Snap Assist, basically, when you hover over the Maximize um, button, it's going to show you a place where you could very easily just just dock that that application. And so that's, um, and, and you can set up layouts for multiple screens where you say, okay, this is where I always want these things to be. And like you said, the big thing is, because I run into this all the time, and I certainly run into it with Windows, but I run into Mac as well, where it's like, I I have everything plugged in. I unplug my stuff. Now, all of a sudden, I have Windows all over the place. I don't know where anything is. And it takes me forever to like, okay, I just had this document up. I was just working on it. Now, where is it? It's either on some sort of virtual desktop somewhere, or it's in a million different places. So the the idea behind this is to make it that process easier, but also the process of actually, you know, figuring out where you want to position your window um, a little bit easier for people who are not the types like me to install like tiling windows managers um, uh, because most people don't want to do that. So I'm I'm glad that they're bringing that as like a actual you know native feature to the OS. Definitely. And you just touched on this, but another really big thing that was announced were snap groups. So from yeah. now on, whenever you hover your mouse above the the maximize window, it will give you like there'll be a way to do it to like basically choose between a bunch of layouts, very similar to what it is on the iPad Pro. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you can have one filling a third of the screen, two thirds of the screen, half of the screen, something like that. Uh, that's basically going to be ba- baked into the maximize feature. This seems freaking awesome to me. Uh, I love it. It's one of my uh, yeah. favorite. It's one of my favorite features, honestly, and it's one of those things mm-hmm. that really changes like how quickly you can. You know, especially if you have like a if you have a big screen, it's really good. It's also really good if you're on a laptop because yeah, you, you don't have to worry about having to manually adjust your windows. You, it will automatically kind of figure out how to you know make them like use masonry to kind of you know get them to fit the way they need to fit. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about this because uh, I'm a, I'm I'm both happy about this 
and skeptical about this. So one of the announcements was uh, Windows 11 is going to apply a technique called auto uh, HDR mm-hmm. to older games. So this is, uh, if you don't know, HDR, it stands for high dynamic range. And it started as like a, a photographic, uh, a way to get those really vivid uh, color shots of cities that look like more bright and real than anything you could see in real life. It does it by like taking a oversaturated shot and an undersaturated shot and then applying the best uh, of both of those uh, together to make an image. So this is a process that they're going to be applying to games uh, to basically make them brighter and look more modern. They played uh, at the event, they played a clip of Skyrim and it really did look much closer to a modern gen game. Uh, I guess, how do you feel about that, Christina? Do you have any word on what the overhead is going to be for that process. What are your thoughts? I'm not sure what the overhead is going to be. It's the same technology that they're, that they're using on the Xbox Series S and X. So it's the same technology that they're using there and they're bringing it to Windows. So it works really well on the Xbox Series X. Uh, I, I expect that it's going to work really well on Windows and it, and it's going to be there by default. And I think that's a really good thing. So um, what sort of overhead and what other requirements it needs, I have no, I honestly have no idea. But um, but uh, my experience using it on the Xbox has been really positive. So I expect that it's going to be good on Windows. That's actually uh, just a segue for a second. That's there are a number of Xbox features that are coming to Windows 11. Um, Direct storage is a huge one. Direct storage is is basically a a different type of file I.O. system for game developers to be able to better handle how they stream in large amounts of data and, and can take better advantage of, you know, fast um, storage that might be on a PC. And, and that technology was also first on the Xbox Series X, and that's now coming to Windows. So if you have a, a, a PCIe 3.0 NVMe drive or, or higher, so if you have a, a 4.0 um, a drive, it works too, um, that'll work. And games that, have, that, you know, developers have optimized for direct storage on, on Xbox uh, from what I understand, it will be very little work for them to then be optimized uh, on on Windows, and and likewise if if you know they don't have an Xbox version of the game, but they want to make it, they want they want to you know add that feature. Um, from what I understand, they're making those tools wildly available. Um, there's also can can we touch can I touch on that before we, yeah, sure we switch over? This is this is really interesting stuff because it's an API. And the way this works, as I understand it, is it allows your GPU to tap directly into your drive. Like previously, if your GPU wanted a bunch of files, it would have to go through your CPU and it's a whole bottleneck here. That's one of the reasons like load times are so much better this generation. So I'm 100% with you, Christina. That That is a 10 out of 10 feature and I'm glad to see it come over. Yeah, yeah. So that's coming. Um, they also announced that uh, the the new AMD um, uh, their upresing technology um, that's going to be on on Windows and work with DirectX twelve Ultimate and all that stuff. Um, I haven't heard about this. Tell me about this. So this up-resing? was yeah. Uh, so this is similar to AMD. Would be mad for me saying this, but I I don't. I, this, this is equivalent. So you know how NVIDIA has DLSS. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is their technology to basically make assets that were not rendered in 4K look better high res. 
AMD. Yeah, super sampling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, AMD, let me find the name of this. Um, it's called FSR, and it's it's their Fidelity FX Super Resolution. And basically, it uses upscaling and AI stuff to give you a better gaming experience, even like if you have an, an older card. Um, and so, so they announced that actually last week, right before the the Microsoft event. Um, and that is that is coming to uh, to Xbox, but it's also coming to Windows. So that's something that that's going to be coming as well, which is pretty cool. So that that feature is supported and it's going to be supported of the next you know versions of like DirectX uh, 12. This was one and this was something that um I thought of you when I was talking to to Jason and Kevin um, from the Xbox team about it at the developer event. There is uh, now an, it's completely available to everyone, a game development kit available um, for all game makers, for people who want to use stuff for, you know, Windows, Xbox, whatever, like where historically you've had to pay um, either a lot of money to get some of the exclusive console development kits or you've had to be like a really high level studio to get access to some of these things. And this is available to to everyone. Um, and, and it's basically, you know, a whole like modern game development kit available for, you know, uh, Xbox uh, and Windows 10, Game Pass for PC, Xbox consoles, and the Xbox um, uh, Game Pass uh, in the cloud. So, and it's free. It's on GitHub. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, also, just speaking of Xbox, something else I'm really thrilled about, Game Pass, amazing deal. Like mm-hmm. the best deal in video games. It is just frankly a pain in the butt to access. Like for for you to get your Game Pass stuff, there's a whole separate Xbox app, and you're going into the store, and you have to like find the the like you have to scroll through manually to find stuff with Game Pass on it and install it. Like it'll carry over for free, but actually finding the stuff, uh, like all the new games, is a real pain because it doesn't show up well. That's why I'm thrilled that the Xbox app itself is going to come baked into Windows 11. That's a Mm -hmm. fantastic idea. Yeah, um, some of the other things that are baked into Windows 11 now, uh, which uh, the nerdier uh, members of our audience might appreciate, you know, a number of years ago, Simone and I talked about the sexy terminal and our love of that. That is now <laughs> coming built in. So so the sexy terminal is now um, a, a pre-installed feature um, in, in Windows 11, which is great. Uh, that's really exciting. And uh, that makes me very, very happy for, for all the, the dev folks out there. Awesome. Uh, let's talk about the thing that got the most news from this event. And I, I want to be honest, I know it was a feature that got all the headlines. I, I, I personally just don't see me using it that much, though. And that was uh, Microsoft partnering with Amazon to have to have access to the Android store uh, sure. through Amazon. Um, okay. Before yeah. we get into that, let me actually just yep. stop for a second to read yep. a sponsor break. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they've got you covered. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and make your ideas a reality. Squarespace has everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. 
You start with a professionally designed template and you use drag and drop tools to make it your own. And you can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products that you have on sale, and more with just a few clicks. And all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile. So your content automatically adjusts so it'll look great on any device. You also get free unlimited hosting, top of the line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade, and they have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. Plus, they'll even let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and you'll have everything you need for SEO and email marketing to get your ideas out there. So you can use Squarespace to turn your big ideas into a new website. We always have lots of uh, good side project ideas here on Rocket. You can showcase your work with their incredible portfolio designs. You can publish your next blog post. You can promote your business. You can announce an upcoming event and much, much more. I've used Squarespace over the years for various websites, especially to set up a podcast because it's just a really easy way of doing things. I highly recommend doing it if you don't want to have to muck around with having to set up themes and and CMSs and, and other stuff. It's really easy to use, really pretty designs. So you can head to squarespace.com slash rocket for a free trial with no credit card required And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code ROCKET to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash ROCKET. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code ROCKET to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for ROCKET. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Okay. Sorry, I got so hyped I know up we got so Windows hyped into 11, it. Like, I know we were I so hyped into it. Okay, so now, yeah. so yes, yeah, so so let's talk a little bit about um, the the Android stuff coming to the App Store, and that's actually one of like many changes coming to the Microsoft Store. But this is obviously one of the big headline ones: is that there's a partnership with Amazon in the Amazon App Store to bring Android apps to Windows. Tell me your thoughts. I'm I'm curious to hear your take on this. Well, I mean. <sighs> I, I feel like in general, it's it's really not about Android as much as it's about my approach to my, my feelings about native apps. Right. Right. I think I think in general, um, if it's not written first for a platform, like uh, the friction on it is less than it was even five years ago, but mm-hmm. it's still noticeable. Uh, do you remember when uh, Twitter uh, had not updated their uh, their Mac app for a long, long time, and then uh, Apple changed some things, and they were able to bring their iPad app in and just dump that into Mac. Uh, I think it was Mac OS X back there. It wasn't a great experience. It was very chuggy. It just wasn't good to use. I just feel like apps that are designed for touch first are never going to be great experiences on the desktop. So I think it's cool that it gives you a, a way to play, you know, like uh, some mobile game you may be addicted to, but uh, is it something I'm personally going to use? Uh, no, but I'm happy it exists all the same. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting thing because I think on the one hand, I think the technology and how they're doing it is actually really cool. There's now like a a Windows subsystem for Android, which is similar to the Windows subsystem for Linux. And so there's actually going to be like, you could actually write apps that are cross-platform X64 and ARM um, and and, and bundle them as kind of a, a universal thing because that's something that Android lets you do. But this is something where there's, there's a, 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 like a basically a, a virtual a, a 
within the hypervisor, there's kind of like a slimline virtual machine that is going to be running and executing the ARM code so that the Android apps run the way that they need to and run quickly um, on um, on Windows and, and kind of in its own kind of user space stuff. Um, I think that the the reality is, is that native apps are great. And I'm a huge proponent of native apps. But a lot of developers, especially younger developers uh, who, who are in, in by younger, I mean newer, newer doesn't have to be you know exclusive that way, but a lot of times it is. They're developing mobile first and they're developing web first. And native apps, regardless of what pop- platform you're on, are a secondary consideration. And and we see this on the Mac all the time, uh, you know, where like more and more of the native apps are are not there. And so on the one hand, I I'm really bullish about things like PWAs or progressive web apps, which are ways where you can build a web app, which is actually what the Twitter for, for Windows app is now, and it's really good. And it's not that dissimilar from what the Twitter for Mac app is, actually, if we're if we're really honest about it. Um, but Apple's support of PWAs is less full than, than say, Chrome or, or um, Windows's um, support is. But you have like kind of the ability to take the 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 native kind of you know web code, but add in features that would be native to the OS. And I like that idea a lot. But for some applications, there are some games, but there are also some utilities. You know, apps like Uber, um, uh, apps like 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 TikTok. Yeah, that's fair. You know, there are apps that yeah. are never going to be made for the desktop, and that people want. Um, the one thing that Windows has going for it, I guess, is and when you mentioned the touchscreen, and I again, I don't know what the experience is going to be like because I haven't really been able to to, to hone in on this, and so it's probably going to be app dependent. Some apps will be really good, some might not be as good. But you do have touchscreen support on Windows, and it's been there for a long time. So for some of that stuff, it's not going to be maybe as foreign as as it would be if you have to then adopt an, a completely new model. Android is also supported, you know, kind of mouse and keyboard gestures for a while. So I don't know. I think it's more about trying to show that if you have apps that you don't ever want to rewrite for a desktop platform, but users still want to use that opportunity will be there. So I think that's kind of cool. Like you, I'm not sure how often I will use it, but I am glad that that that's um, coming. Yeah, and I think that's really fair. Like, uh, you know, like we plan our show through WhatsApp. Uh, you could very easily bring that in. So, or Signal, um, though there is a, I think there's a desktop app for that. So, yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, is there, uh, before we kind of move on to like the more general, like state of Windows uh, thing, is there anything else from uh, from the event that I missed that we should cover? So the store is, is getting a total overhaul and the store, it will also, be coming to Windows 10, but they've, they've redesigned mm-hmm. the store. And the store has been around for a number of years now. Uh, it was originally called the Windows Store. For the last few years, it's been known as the Microsoft Store. And it's been kind of a mess by by the team's own admission. There, um, you know, it has brought a lot of people into it, but there have been some problems. And uh, one of the biggest challenges was that not all app types could be uploaded to the store. Things needed to be packaged a certain way and certain technologies were supported more than others. The big news now is that Win32 apps, which are kind of your traditional Windows apps, you can now upload to the store, uh, which is really exciting. And so this is really good, I think, for app developers because they don't have to think about like what technology was the app written in, you know, uh, which that hasn't been necessarily as much of the case in the last few years, but it still was kind of a concern. Um, but, but it's really kind of one of those things, like if you have a Java app, if you have an Electron app, if you have a Win32 app, if you have a w, UWP app, like you can upload those all. I think the bigger thing, and this is interesting, I think from an industry perspective, is that there are some changes to 
the model of how the store works. So first for um, regular um, apps, it's going to be like a, a an 85-15 cut, I believe is what the new split is going to be. And then for um, some apps, it's going to be like 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 88-12 for, uh, for, for PC games uh, from the Microsoft store, meaning like the developers get more cut of that revenue. The bigger thing is, is that, and this won't apply for games, but this will apply for all other apps. If you have your own payment processor, so if you're an existing app developer and you are, already have a payment processor who you use to sell apps through your own web front, if you bring that payment processor to the Microsoft store, then Microsoft doesn't take any cut at all. So you would pay whatever your fees were to Stripe or whoever, but Microsoft's not going to take any cut at all. And so mm-hmm. that, I think, is really interesting when we look at a lot of the, you know, the Epic lawsuit. And when we look at a lot of the antitrust concerns and stuff over the app store, this is, I think, very much kind of a shot at that. And it is very much showing that you can actually still have a storefront that has, you know, systems in place to try to, you know, keep malware and other things out. Um, But you can also allow people to bring their own, some of their own tooling um, while still distributing through your store. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, awesome. So it looks uh, fantastic overall. Really excited for this. Um, so uh, do we want to do another sponsor? Or yes, do we want yes. to jump? Yeah. Yeah, we've got kind of a secondary topic of this where we're, Bree and I are going to talk about our, uh, our, our God boxes that we've um, bought. <laughs> and we're also going to kind of talk about the state of Windows in general. Uh, but first, this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Calm. So business leaders know that healthy, happy employees create successful companies, no matter what industry. And Calm for Business can help your employees be their best selves at work. At Calm, they want you to help kickstart your mental well-being initiatives, which is like empowering employees to stress less, rest better, and build resilience, which should be a year-round priority. And with Calm for Business, companies can partner with the number one mental fitness app, which is Calm, and provide support and tools to their employees. Um, I've used Calm uh, over the last year or so, and I don't know if you've used it or not, Bree, but I'm, I'm, it, it's it's interesting because it's, it's kind of a guided meditation app. And this was something that as an ADHD person, I didn't know if A, I would be able to actually do it or B, if it would actually help me. And the answer is yes to both. So I was, I have been able to do it and it has been helpful. It's one of those things where, you know, it, it just, it takes, you know, a few minutes a day, but it really the guided practice of helping you kind of relieve what's going on inside your head, even if your head like mine runs a million miles an hour at all times, it's a really good experience. And I think it's something that helps, especially the last year that we've all been through. Mindfulness is something I've thought a lot more about. So I think Calm is is, is a good thing for anybody who, if you've used this sort of thing before, um, I recommend giving it a shot. Uh, but if you're somebody who, even if you don't know if you necessarily are a good fit, but your mind is always racing I encourage you to, to try try it out because I, I actually have had a lot of benefits from it. And Calm has a library of content specifically designed to help work teams stress less, sleep better, and build mental resilience. And so this includes lo-fi music playlists, quick breathing breaks, guided meditations, and hundreds of soothing sleep stories. And this will help people feel relaxed and more prepared for whatever comes your way. And they even have programs that are tailored for mental health and productivity like the their Mindfulness at Work series. 
Millions of employees at over 600 companies like Lincoln, Iterable, and Universal Studios use Calm for Business. And Calm is available globally. And right now, Calm is offering a free well-being ebook for HR and benefit leaders. And one month free after you attend a free demo when you go to calm.com slash rocket. That's right. You get a free well-being ebook and one month free after attending a free demo when you go to calm.com slash rocket. Get started today at calm, that's C-A-L-M dot com slash rocket. Go there now. Our thanks to Calm for their support of this show and Relay FM. Awesome. So, uh, you know, a while back, uh, I built my Mega Ultra uh, PC, and I was really unsure how much I was going to like and use it. And I, I found myself really, really, really liking the Windows experience. And uh, just, I, I, I feel like, especially as uh, you know, Mac OS has moved more towards you know, this, uh, like games, I, I've just given up on the dreams of, you know, ever being able to game on my Mac for real. Um, but also like productivity apps, uh, you know, just to having a really powerful computer here for, for everything has, has really been something I've, I've benefited from. And just to be honest with you, uh, I have a very expensive iMac Pro that's mm-hmm. a great machine. I use my Windows uh, Ultra Thread Threadripper box a million times more. I actually just uh, bought a maxed out uh, i9 uh, top of the line Razer, uh, Razer Blade laptop uh, for over $3,000 for Unreal, even though I could theoretically like do Unreal development on my, uh, you know, on my MacBook, like that's how much I'm, I'm enjoying this. So I, I kind of wanted to have a discussion with you about how we kind of feel the state of Mac is versus Windows. Like this used to be an argument we would have a lot. And I think some of the things we've kind of taken as gospel aren't really as true as they used to be. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's interesting that you just bought the new um, laser blade, uh, razor blade uh, laptop with uh, what graphics card did you get in uh, yours? It has the laptop version of the 3080. Uh, okay, nice. Um, uh, because I actually, it's funny, I, a, I was kind of looking at that laptop. I don't need it. I have between my uh, my box, which is a 5900X and a, a 3080 and my iMac that I got last year and the pink iMac that I have on order that'll be delivered in the next few weeks, I don't need another like super powerful gaming laptop, but I did buy, um, it should be here tomorrow, a Dell XPS 13 because Costco had a really good deal on it. And so it's running an i7, uh, with the Intel Z, uh, processor, uh, 4k UHD screen, um, uh, you know, 32 gigs of Ram, one terabyte hard drive had a really good, they had, they had a really good price on it. And so I, I got that machine. And so it was interesting that we both, like you just got yours and I'm about to get a Windows laptop. And I, I bought a Windows laptop three years ago, but this is, and this is kind of going to replace that. I'm buying it primarily because I wanted like a laptop for Windows 11. Um, but yeah, my my experience, and it's weird because part of me, I'm trying to like kind of separate like how much of it is now I actually know people who work on Windows and I see a little bit more about how the sausage is made and like, am I becoming assimilated into the Borg versus how much of it as like the operating system change. And also I think just the state of, of computing has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, it's probably a little bit of both. Like 
at my heart, I'm still a Mac user and I still prefer the Mac experience. But at the same time, honestly, more and more of the applications that I use every day are web-based. As much as I wish everything was native, they're not. And cross-platform stuff matters to me in some contexts more than, you know, being like on one like platform or another. And then as you mentioned, like I've gotten more into gaming this last year and there is no gaming on the Mac. There's just not. Like, sorry, like there's not. Uh, Apple Arcade is fun, but there's absolutely nothing of value, at least for me as a Mac user to game on the Mac. Like there's, I I, I don't see anything there. I truly don't believe a hundred years from now, you're going to see a substantial number of people pining for those games. Uh, I just, I just flat out don't like it's even the very, the most successful ones are are pleasant distractions. They're not meaningful experiences. Um, So I guess, you know, I I, like you, I want to be really clear to our listeners. I'm not abandoning the Mac. It's always going to be, you know, my primary thing. I just happen to have like a, a top, a very good lap windows laptop and a Mac laptop. I, 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 I feel like, I feel like there are, there's some things that aren't quite true. Like I feel like, uh, 10 years ago, you know, we told ourselves that Macs just work period. Right. And I, I really think if you objectively sat down and counted the number of times you had to log in and the number of modal dialogues that you had to go through and all the, the pains in the butt of setting up a new Windows laptop versus a Mac laptop, I think it's pretty much a, a wash. I mean, am I crazy to feel that way? I don't think so. I mean, I think that there are parts of the Apple experience that are better for certain types of users. And I think that they do a really good job with that. I do think that that you know Windows is working on that. Unfortunately, a lot of that comes down to what OEM you get it from, right? Like if you buy a laptop, right. like like the Dell laptop that I buy, the very first thing I'm going to do, I don't even know if I'm going to boot it up before I clean install it. To be honest, because yeah. I don't want any of the bloatware stuff on it's it. It's going to come with crapware. That's part um, of why I bought the Razer. I was going to say, it wouldn't yeah, have that. Yeah, yeah. Razer doesn't do that. The Huawei that I that I got rip. Um, which was a great laptop, was what was then known as the Signature Edition. I, I don't think they that uh, de- designation exists anymore, which was nothing on it but, you know, like the Windows. It was a really good experience. So so that's part of it, right? Like Apple, because they own the end-to-end process, has a really good control over that. But the it just works thing, that's kind of less true, I think, every year, right? Like I've run into a lot of problems with Big Sur. I've run into problems with, with Catalina. It took me over, it took me almost a year to upgrade to Catalina because there were some issues that I was going to have with some of my tooling. Um, Big Sur, I still don't have it running on my work laptop, which is now like old as hell. But um, with the chip shortage, I'm not going to be able to get a, a, a new laptop um, for a few more months. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm trying to hold off. I'm trying to wait until an M1 with more than 16 gigs of RAM is available. But yeah, I mean, there there are definitely things where there are breakdowns, I think, in the experience. And um, decisions that have been made that, to me, as like an end user and as a power user especially, I don't love. Like, I, I personally don't love how everything has become more and more locked down and iOS-like. Like, yeah. that's personally... Um, a turnoff. Now, for some users, that might not be. That might be they're like, hey, I just want to use it and I don't care. For me, as someone who really likes to kind of tinker with and do stuff on my machines, um, but has always really loved the elegance of Mac, 
that's like a weird trade-off for me where I'm like, okay, I can't dual boot operating systems anymore unless I want to go through a whole bunch of nerdery that I might not even have driver support for and, and whatever OS I'm using, which w- would be like Linux or something, um, or I have to use the virtual machines and, and some of the virtual machine layer stuff doesn't quite work uh, the way I'd want it to. Yeah. <laughs> this I'm talking about with, with M1 machines, the Intel Macs yeah. are obviously a little different. Yeah. Um, and, and they're, you know, they're just, they're, they're other kind of like, it's, it's just a different sort of platform. So I don't know, I think, but I do feel like the, it just works thing is no longer true for Mac and it's no longer, I wouldn't say it's true for windows, but I, I feel like it's not as far off as it used to be, especially if you get it from a good vendor and especially with things like windows hello, which works the same as touch ID uh, and and with oh that is amazing on oh, my razor blade it yeah. is amazing I mean it's fantastic right and it's basically yeah. it's the way you log in you either have a fingerprint sensor or a, um, a webcam IR sensor mm-hmm. or both and it logs in and it's so fast and it works with everything and, and their APIs available like one password and things like that work with it um, so you know you have things like Windows Hello which I think have made things easier you also have I know kind of I think like uh, like Windows Defender. Or, or Microsoft Defender, sorry, that's what it's called now, the built-in antivirus. Like, I haven't bought or recommended that anybody buy a third-party antivirus in years. And and I wouldn't. I mean, if you're in a very specific, you know, circumstances, okay, maybe. But, like, just use what's built in. Like, there's a lot of stuff now that's built in that you get that works really well. So I, I think a lot of the trade-offs for a lot of people, like why people, like, originally maybe left Windows, for me personally, I've kind of gone back and I'm like, huh, a lot of these things don't exist anymore. Yeah. And so I complete agreement with every word you just said. And I think, you know, both you and I are privileged enough that, you know, we can have a laptop to to tinker on, right? To install fun things on, to try crypto mining, right? right. And then and then a serious thing. Yeah. The bottom line is, you know, uh, the Mac platform is just so integrated together. Apple Music is freaking fantastic. Well worth the money iMessage on Mac is an amazing productivity tool. End of story. Photos over there, you know, uh, and and just, uh, frankly, the the security of it, right? Like, I've very deliberately not put my email and one password on any Windows machine because I want the stuff that truly needs to stay private, you know, I want that on the most secure place it can be. But at the same time, like, I think it's really like Sadia Nutella, when he, uh, in Joanne Stern's interview, he was talking about like the, the, the openness, like there was no, uh, operating system experience. So it was as open as, as windows is today. And I, I, Linux aside, I really have to kind of agree with them about that. And I, I think it's just a really wonderful tool that you can just have a ton of fun with. Yeah, I mean, I think that is sort of the interesting thing. I mean, even when you look at like platforms, like the Windows subsystem for Linux has totally changed how I use Windows because a lot of the stuff that I do at work, especially, is around web development and around other types of of that sort of coding. And so historically, Mac has been great at that because even though it doesn't have Linux underneath, it has Unix, which is similar in many respects, which means that developing something for you know, I, I have like terminal built in and I have like these these tools where I had historically anyway, this is no longer the case, but like I had built in versions of of certain dev tools that I knew would be there. Um, and and WSL2 brings that to Windows with the 
upset with the upsell of like I can use Visual Studio Code, which is a native Windows app, and it can be accessing all my files from the the Linux side from the Linux subsystem. So I can be completely editing a Linux project in a in a native Windows app, preview it in my web browser, commit it, push the code up to GitHub on my website, and it'll be exactly as if I were editing it on a Linux box, which is pretty awesome. And yeah. and and that I, I think that you know for for those types of users like the team I know because I've talked to people who work on WSL and people who work on Windows Terminal and they're really good people like they've thought about those use cases a lot and that sort of openness right like the the operating system might not be open but but that openness of being able to be like hey our platform we want people to be able to create here we're not trying to say you can only build this type of apps here and I think is pretty great I mean you and I. This is a, a side thing, and this isn't going to be for everybody. But like, I had so much fun building my computer, mm-hmm. and I, I had and I hadn't built a computer in such a long time. And I was like, man, this is fun, you know. Um, I wish. I mean, Apple's never let you build your own stuff, but like, I I miss that kind of thing, and I, and I I'm glad like that there's that option, right? Like, I think that I I don't know the way I kind of look at the two worlds. I, I don't see them so much. I mean, they are in competition, but I don't so much see them as like you know like you have to be it doesn't feel to me anymore like I, I have to feel like I have to like be waving one team's flag or another. I feel like everybody at this point, or not everybody, but many people acknowledge that we're all using multiple devices. You know, like kids use Chromebooks more than anything, right? Like I think that it's it's all about like the end of the day, like what's the best tool you can use to get something done? And like for you, for wh- whether it's playing games or building games, like Windows is going to be the development package there. Um yep. There is an advantage, for instance, so this is this is another thing. Um, you know, Apple and NVIDIA are real mad at each other, which means you can't use any of NVIDIA's superior graphics cards on the Mac, which sucks. Uh, and if you're doing stuff with, uh, you know, AI machine learning and neural net stuff, then the CUDA system that, that NVIDIA has, you can't access that. Um, you can on Windows, and not only that, but WSL now has... Uh, graphical support, meaning that you can natively, and again, like a Windows app, you could do training in the Linux side if you wanted to run some of those tools, but still interact with with some of that stuff um, on the Windows side. So it makes people who are doing a lot of high-end computational stuff, like it's a really good system. It's a really good offering. So I don't know. I um, I feel like a shill saying this, but I'm, I'm not. I don't even work on Windows and I my primary machines are Macs, but I didn't feel weird buying a, a Windows laptop a couple of days ago. I felt weird buying a Dell because, you know, Dell. But I didn't feel weird <laughs> I buying... I saw your tweet about yeah, that. Yeah, but I didn't feel weird buying a Windows laptop. I am curious from you, um, how do you like the Razer? Uh, I've only had it for a day. So uh, I can tell you Cyberpunk runs on it very, very well, which is uh, amazing. Uh, Unreal runs on it very well. I, I, I just, I feel like I feel like sometimes when we have these discussions, Christina, it's like people want... People want to believe that one computer needs to be everything for everyone. Right. And and I think it's completely okay that, you know, the Mac is moving over to the M1 processor that's locked down from Intel stuff, that the app store is really locked down. And you've got a really refined Apple ecosystem experience there this dependable and highly polished but won't give you much else i think that's fine for the for the mac and the apple ecosystem to be i think my message is there's a lot of fun 
in having tools over in the Windows side that just because increasingly you can't do any of this stuff on on the Apple side. Right. And I personally am having a lot of fun working with that again. And I I feel guilty kind of, but I, I just want to be honest with our listeners about that. Yeah, I, this is an interesting thing that I've had for the last couple of years. I've had to kind of get rid of my, I guess, like, you know, arbitrary snobbery? kind of like well, <laughs> snobbery, is, what, snobbery for one. Yeah. Well, well, look, I'm always going to be a snob. We know that. Yeah. Uh, Christina will forever be a snob. But but I guess, you know, I have to kind of get over, you know, I mean, Steve Jobs said it best. You know, he said, you know, um, for Apple to win, Microsoft doesn't have to lose. And he said that in, yeah. in 1997. And I think that this is the same thing now, like for for. Microsoft to win or Windows to win, like my, like Apple doesn't have to lose. For Google to win, you know, the other ones don't have to lose. Like, I think that we have to get out of this, like, kind of like, we have to be on one side or another thing and just enjoy the computer that you enjoy. I don't know. That's kind of my take. I couldn't agree more. Okay. Uh, this episode of Rocket, uh, before we kind of close out the show, I want to, because we have a great dessert topic, I do want to just give a shout out to our friends of material this episode of rocket is brought to you by material from relay fm so if you like this show there's a good chance that you'll like material hosts andy nako and florence ion are veteran technology journalists with plenty to say about what's going on google's mission is to crawl the entirety of humanity's online and offline presence so that it can capture and organize all information and Flo and Andy's mission is to keep crawling right back behind the whole, behind it the whole way. So each week they talk about the freshest developments in Google services, software, and research. And they also cover the headlines that remind us all that founder's famous mandate, don't be evil, is now part of the company's history and not the company's culture. Um, I think Material is a great show. I love both Flo and Andy. And I think it's a great compliment to kind of the discussion we've been having for the last hour or so, which is like, use what you want. Stop being like, I don't know, just so attached to one platform one way or another. Open your mind. If you like what you like, I'm not saying you need to use something else, but be open to it. And I think that this is a great show uh, uh, for people who want to know all the latest goings on with Google because Google is another huge player out there. Some really great episodes include And the Shoe Keeps Dropping, uh, where Andy experiences an earthquake. Uh, at summary, which covers uh, the whole uh, do- uh, Dr. Timnet uh, uh, Gebru situation and why she was fired from Google Brain and Malarkey, where Google is not only put through the ringer by the Department of Justice, but it's called out for providing its AI tech and border surveillance. And um, apparently Andy and Flo also hum songs for Google to guess to lighten the mood. So really <laughs> good stuff there. Check out material on Relay FM. All right. And now it's time to get into what we really wanted to talk about. Three. <laughs> uh, Fast and Furious 9. I F9, suspect baby. you and I are going to have different opinions about this. I mean, okay. So you've seen, I, I'm, have you seen all the Fast films? Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. God, I'm a car girl. I, I mean, I've, I've watched I'm those checking. religiously. Yes. Okay. So, so I saw it on Thursday. You saw it on Friday. Yep. It is straight up a bananas, ridiculous, insane movie. <laughs> I highly enjoyed myself, however. What about you? So, okay. I mean, so this movie aside, let me just give you a little bit of background. So the first Fast and Furious came out, and it was it really was a love letter to a, a culture that had just been completely ignored in in mass media generally uh you know, for me growing up in mississippi 
this is just what people did. Like, there's a reason I got these skills because if you wanted to socialize, you know, go out and like install a turbo or some new cams or something like that. That's just what we did in Mississippi growing up. So that first Fast and Furious movie captured something about car culture that I think was really important. And then the third movie, uh, Tokyo Drift, is a really accurate depiction of what it's like at track days and what the people are like and what the culture is like. So as this franchise has gotten bigger and bigger, it's it's moved away from what I like about it, which is that kernel of truth. And it's much more about this increasingly stupid spectacle, if that makes sense to you. And oh, I know 100%. it's never going to be that again, but it's like, it's it's just getting further and further from what I love in these films in the first place. No, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, I saw the original Fast and the Furious in the theater, and I actually saw it with some friends who were more into like the uh, the the you know kind of racing scene. Like in Atlanta, there was a there was a thing called Nopi, which is you know where where people would uh, kind of do a, they they would do they would add hydraulics and, and nitrous and stuff to their cars and. And all that kind of stuff. And so it was one of those, um, you know, kind of speedway things. And I wasn't ever into that culture, but I had friends who were. And and I agree with you that there were parts of it that certainly were more rooted in reality. I think, though, that like that ended many, many, many films ago. <laughs> yes. uh, certainly in this <laughs> yes. film, uh, I'm not going to get into spoilers uh, for people who care about spoilers for Fast and Furious, but in F9 you've seen it in the trailer they do go to space there yes. there there is there is a space exploration part i mean it's just ridiculous at this point i think that it's kind of like it's a weird like it's it's half bond series half mission impossible it's but there are cars and then there's all this lore i i don't know it's it's mindless fun entertainment from my perspective but i do totally understand i, I did enjoy watching them strap a rocket to a pontiac fiero and send that to space that's that what i'm saying excellent. that's what i'm yes. saying like <laughs> to me um i totally hear you on the fact that any of the realism they don't even pretend anymore but i it's also i mean what's amazing about this this is a 6.2 billion dollar franchise yes 6.2 billion dollars between these films and avatar i think michelle rodriguez is maybe like one of the higher grossing actresses like mm -hmm. like in terms of films that she's been in good for her um but they've been going on for 20 years and you know like god bless ben diesel because he's like committed like they all all of them are right like none of them it, he didn't he, vin diesel famously didn't come back for the sequel too fast too furious <laughs> he made a cameo at the end of tokyo drift which has been retconned into a weird way chronologically i'm not going to get into it it doesn't matter um, but then with, with, with the uh, Fast and the Furious 4, and then especially with the fifth one, which was kind of like the full reboot yep, of the Fast series. Five. Fast yep. Five. I feel like they really like found their footing and like really just kind of embraced that like all the actors, even the ones who'd been like, we don't want to be part of this anymore. Everybody was like, you know what? We're not escaping this. This is going to be on our tombstones. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, when, when Paul Walker tragically died, you know, like mm. they had to recut the entire seventh film and, and made it really a tribute to him and his character. But like that, you know, but these movies have like, it's this pure American, like cultural, like just, I don't know. Like it, it's just this every, I mean, they're dumb as hell, but they're really enjoyable. 
Yeah, Gail Simone had a tweet the other day, famous uh, comic book writer Gail Simone. Uh, she had a, a tweet that I, I really found very thought-provoking, where she was talking about how, um, you know, she, obviously she talks to Hollywood quite a bit with her job, and she said a Hollywood executive told her that the Fast and Furious films had done more for getting more diverse yes. casting than everything that's ever been Twitter tweeted about inclusion on Twitter because they're so financially successful. 100%. And part of the reason for that is they do stupidly well internationally because it's, it's, it's really more of an international cast. And, and that makes a lot of sense to me. I think in some ways this film is, is so it's baked in a way that the bad guy and the, the thing they're trying to stop is so bad bond movie generic that it just could not offend anyone. Like it's, it's built to be this big dumb plot with, with celebrities that will just draw everyone in and make a ton of money. Yeah. I'm trying to find it now, but there was a thread, um, that, uh, I, I found on Twitter from one of the producers from the fast and the furious, uh, films who talked about basically the way that, uh, he was able to, get like we're basically like like uh you know black and hispanic audiences really largely kind of saved and made that franchise and and the fact that it really did speak to to, to say nothing of the massive international appeal which is which is massive but even like in the u.s like the films were kind of ignored for years until like i think i don't remember which one it was that broke the one billion mark but then people were like oh wait we have to pay attention to this now and the reason people didn't pay attention to it as much frankly is because most people who go to see them are you know people of color and yeah. communities that aren't targeted to and that the movies aren't made for, even though they make up a huge percentage of the world. And these movies do, and they don't talk down to them and they embrace them and people like them. And yes, it's populist and whatnot. Are these, the, are these going to be cinematic achievements? Absolutely not. That's not what they're designed to be. But I think she makes a good point that this is, that they are like, this does more like having a star like Vin Diesel does more and the rock for that matter too right because he joined the franchise and having them be able to be these massive global superstars and action stars is a really good thing when we want to look at diversity and not just diversity you know in front of the camera but behind the camera too you know justin lynn who who directed f9 and he also directed some of the previous uh versions um you know uh is man of color like they've had a lot of you know, people who have been working behind the scenes as writers and directors who are typically not the people who get to tell Bond stories, right? Right. So I think there's something to be said for that. Like, I, I'm actually, uh, I, I kind of uh, I kind of like that. Um, there was a very funny, uh, I appreciated this on um, New York Mag. There was a really, really good, let me find it. Uh, Rachel, uh, I, yeah, Rachel Handler wrote, a desperate attempt to make sense of life, death, and the fast family. So basically, <laughs> she went in and watched the, the F9 and never having seen any of the other films and then recorded her experiences. And it is hysterical. <laughs> it is so right, funny. Because you would not know anything. No, oh but, 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 yeah, but, but yeah, yeah, she was able to pick up on certain things and whatnot. Like, uh, like, like uh, this I thought was really telling because I, I ironically, I turned to my friend Jeremiah, who I saw this with, and I said something very similar. 
This is what she says about Letty. She says, Letty surely used to be in love with Jordana Brewster, but then pitifully married Jordana Brewster's brother instead. <laughs> Letty has two leather jackets, one black, one white. She brings both on spontaneous trip to a militarized uh, town on a small <laughs> island. She yeah. climbed walls as evidenced by her rescue of Dom from the bottom of some kind of malevolent indoor well. And then when they get to uh, um, um, Mia Jordana Brewster, uh, it's just also a Toretto. She's a yoga mom who lives in the suburbs but wants back in on the action, <laughs> i.e. driving everywhere all the time and smashing into things. Secretly in love with Letty but can't act on it because she has four children and lives in Westchester. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very insightful. It is. I and and, and there, there was another that. one that was mentioning, you know, like uh, like like Ramsey, um, um, Tyrese, and Ludacris that basically said that it was like the best like ar- argument for polyamory. And I was like, yeah, I, I can see that. Like, if you haven't seen any of these films, and you don't know any of these characters, you go into this and you're kind of like, yeah, OK, I, 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 I can see this. Um, but uh, anyway, her, her review as someone who'd never seen the films before, I thought was very, very funny. Um, I love it. I so, love it. So what's your favorite fast film? Oh, it's it's Fast and Furious 3 by far, Tokyo Drift. You know, you were talking about uh, inclusion a second ago. What I love about this is it's not like the main character in that one. It does kind of a George Lazenby Bond thing where it's not Paul Walker. It's not uh, Vin Diesel. It's uh, it's uh, Lucas Black. Right. Uh, uh, you know, this guy that's in one film and then he plays the, the crazy mechanic in this one. And, you know, he's not a, an action star. Like he's exactly like the rednecks as a term with affection that I grew up with in Mississippi that spent all their time doing tuning. Right. And uh, it's, it's all these people that just don't have their stories told. Like, like I knew so many dudes like him growing up. And I think it really captures something that's so true about that. So, um, you know, I, I, it was really emotional to me to see him reunited with Han. It's just this hug at the end of it, but you're just like, Oh, a tear is coming to my eye where the guy that in the, in the movie that they kind of threw away cause it didn't do well and nearly crashed the franchise. He has this moment back with Han. I just, I love that. So, uh, stupid movie, uh, the hacking parts, I literally laughed out loud at. I did too. I did too. It didn't make any sense. It, it did but... not make any sense. Although at the same time, at least they like used correct like terms. Like it was wrong, yes, but at least they yes. said correct terms, which is not always the case. Uh, <laughs> and and I do have to say, like I um I love I don't I I'm really curious how much Charlize Theron was paid for like her two days of work because she seriously yep. showed up on set like for two days. She did yep. some blocking scenes. She took her check and she left. Yeah. And that is, I'm like, so here for that. Like just that, had a bad attitude and did, did the same character cipher over again. Yeah. I don't even know if she yeah. had a bad attitude. I think she just got paid. Oh, I mean, her character is just like, like it's very one note. It's a great note, but uh Yeah. I loved it. Yep. And we're probably going to get fast tense. So I will be there on opening night again. Yeah. No, they, they've, they've already um, gone fast 10, fast 11. Then apparently the main franchise is over. So they claim that's what Ben is saying. But there's the there's the spinoff um, uh, with the with the rock and Jason Statham Ooh, and um, Hobbs not and Shaw. Good. Not good. <laughs> I, I, you know, I mean, whatever. Like these movies are never going away. Um, <laughs> I, I just I, I feel really old that I saw the first one. 
20 years ago in the theater. And then almost 20 years to the day I saw the second, like the ninth one. And I'm like, really the 10th film, if you count Hobson shot, I'm just like, really? I, I don't <laughs> like to, I don't like to think about my own humanity this way. Thanks fast. So anyway, um, good. I, this was the first movie I've seen in the movie theater since everything happened. Have you been to the movie since then? Oh yeah. Well, okay. We're on vacation. Like I've been seeing every movie I can. So okay. I actually went and saw Mission Impossible, the original one. Oh, just because yeah. they it's were movie. re-showing it again. So. Okay. So and I have to say, like, especially it was nice to be in air conditioning. And this mm-hmm. is the perfect sort of summer blockbuster. It's stupid as hell, but it's good. So I'm I'm into it. All right. Brie, um, we are we've gone way long. This is what happens when Simone's not here. Sorry. It's fine. Uh uh, what are you up to this week? Uh, so, uh, I can't talk about what's going on with rebellion. I can say I'm really, 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 really psyched about what's going on at rebellion. Uh, it is good to be leading a full fledged tech team working on a big problem. So that is very exciting for me. Uh, personally, I can say uh, I got beyond addicted to Neo 2 on uh, PS5. Uh, this is a, it's a Dark Souls-like game, but it's kind of placed in the uh, Sengaku uh, period of Japan. It's demons, it's Dark Souls with demons in like with samurai. And it is so awesome and wildly addictive. If you play this game, talk to me on Twitter because I want to talk like high level meta game strategy with you okay i i will i will give that um a shot okay so um i am this week it's uh in the fiscal year so i've just got some work stuff that we're kind of closing things out on and uh i'm trying to avoid the heat if i'm being completely honest which means getting out of this room where we're recording things because it's like 90 degrees in here and it's really hot so so uh that that's all i've really kind of been up to and uh uh trying to stay cool and yeah and um you know uh recovering after a lot of the hard work that i've been putting in the last couple of weeks so there we go with that um brie where can people find you on um online uh you can find me at uh brianna Wu on twitter and you can support uh rebellion by going to help and you can find me at film underscore girl on the twitters and the instagrams i did bring back a christina's hotel tour on instagram for the hotel i was in uh, I hope to do more of those in uh, the coming months. And you can find the videos that I do at work at youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. And uh, you can find Simone at Doom Quasar on Twitter and Instagram. She will be back with us next week. And uh, thank you all for listening to the show. If you like this episode, please give us a uh, like and a review on Apple Podcasts because it really helps us out. And thank you to our sponsors, Calm, uh, Squarespace, and also check out our other relay shows like Material. So uh, that does it for this episode of Rocket. This episode is terminated. Terminated. <laughs>